Pray with me, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your, uh, your presence here now. And we pray that as you are here, as you rest upon us, that you would guide us and teach us and lead us. And that we'd feel your wisdom and your spirit and your truth uh, speaking and encouraging us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's great to have you guys here. Great to be here with you. We're continuing our series called the OT, also called the Old Testament or the Older Testament. And it's been a great time for you to share some of the older stories, some of the things that you might remember from good old Sunday school or VBS. And uh, we're going to jump right into the story of Jonah, who here has ever heard this story before and is a great story. We'll get into it in just a bit. We're actually going to read a lot of scripture, a lot more than we typically do. So I encourage you if you, uh, if you have a Bible to open up to the book of Jonah, and that is in the Minor Prophets, which minor means smaller, means the books are smaller, not the people were smaller. And uh, you can find them at the end of the Old Testament. It's after the book of Amos, before the book of Micah and Zechariah. It's only four chapters, so you have a habit to skip over it. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you have it on your phone, that's an easy one. You just open up our, the YouVersion Bible app. That's a free download, and we're part Part of that, you can actually join our event page today here, and you can read along with us. This is a great way, even if you're traveling, you can see us on Facebook Live, and you can pull up uh, Davison Free Methodist Church on the YouVersion Bible app, and uh, that'd be a great way for you to follow along with us, even back then. And, or, if you want to, you can go totally, totally old school, old school in the OT, you can grab a Pew Bible. Isn't that great? So we got two different versions of the Pew Bibles, um, they're both blue, so Grab one. It's either underneath your pew or in front of you. It's either going to be on page 925 or 916 or somewhere along in there. Uh, if you can't find it, that's okay. It's actually going to be on the screen. So I should have gave you that option first. Uh, but there we go. So my favorite story about Jonah uh, for my life happens when I was a, a uh, freshman in college. I went to Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky, and my parents lived in western Pennsylvania. And when I went to college, I was utterly and totally homesick. I couldn't wait to get home. Now, when I got home, I couldn't wait to get back to college. Isn't that always the way it is? Uh, but I wanted to get back. And I remember we had a fall break, a couple days off, and I didn't have a car, and I lived eight hours away, and so just like anywhere in college, you had to kind of bum a ride off someone else. In typical college fashion, I found someone who was going to Pennsylvania, and I said, can I hitch a ride? I'll chip in for gas. They said, sure, come along, and we left late on a Wednesday night. We were going to drive through the night. We made it about a half hour away, and the car broke down. They were able to get it running again, but instead of driving seven and a half hours to our destination, they drove a half hour back to college and said, sorry, we're not going to make the trip. So I said, okay, well, I got no plan B. I'll find someone else. And the next morning I found someone else who was going to Pennsylvania and the car never made it out of the parking lot. Feeling a little worried, but never wanted to give up. I, like I said, I was really homesick. I finally found someone who was actually going to the state that shall not be named Ohio. And it was close enough to Pennsylvania, and I thought, I'll hitch a ride with them. And then after six hours of trip to eastern Ohio, their car broke down. And as I shared with them my story, my track record of three cars breaking down, they said, you know what, Shane? You must be the problem. You are Jonah. 
If you remember the story of Jonah, we'll get to it in a little bit. Everywhere he goes, the ship starts to face this uh, unbelievable storm. So they said, tell you what, Shane, this is what we're going to do. Just like the story of Jonah, we're going to throw you overboard into the belly of Ohio and make you live there. Um, Thankfully, my parents came and picked me up. So there you go. You can think about that story as we read through it. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh, This is what it says, Jonah chapter 1. Hopefully you found this in your Bible. It says, Jonah chapter 1. It says, "The, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Tarshish is kind of modern day uh, Spain on the other side of the, the rock of Gibraltar. So pretty much he's going to the end of the world. Okay? Now Nineveh, anyone know where Nineveh is? It's in modern day Iraq, just, uh, just a little bit west of Mosul. And uh, so he was going, supposed to go east, and instead he went west. And he was supposed to go to this end of the world, but he said, no, I'm going to the complete opposite side of the world. Then the Lord sent a great wind of the sea, just like the Lord sent all the problems with the vehicles I was riding in. The Lord sent a great wind to the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went down to him. You don't have this verse. He said, why, how can you sleep? Get up and make notice. Actually, they're worried about him. Come on, aren't you freaking out like us? We'll skip down to verse 9. He said, I answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told him so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked, what should we do to make the sea calm down? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging, raging sea grew calm. At this, the man greatly feared the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days in three nights. Skipping down to verse 10, actually that was the whole, pretty much the whole first chapter. So the second chapter, it's all about, he, he makes up this song, I guess he sings inside the fish. So if you're going to eat by fish, just start singing. And, and there in verse 10, this is what happens. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's got to be pretty disgusting, but there you go. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Verse 10, when God saw what they had done, this is Nineveh, and how they had turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them. And did not bring upon the destruction that he had threatened. But, look at Jonah's response. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is it not that I have not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. 
a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take my own life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Then the final couple verses of the whole book, the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine. Actually, he goes and kind of has this kind of moment where God provides a little bit of a, a tree for him or a bush for him, and he ends up cursing it. And this is God's response to this. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though it did not tend it to make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people that cannot tell their right hand from their left. How many, and many cattle as well, should I not be concerned about this great city? And then we start the book of Micah, where the story ends. Now, this is a strange story, right? This is unlike any other prophet, in, prophet book that we have, any of these Old Testament, these minor prophets, different than all of them. Basically, here's the story. Yeah, we just read it. A guy by the name of Jonah is felt by, called by God to go to a certain place. He runs the opposite way. He faces uh, problems and problems. Finally, God kind of redirects his path back to the original path. He shows up there. He preaches to them. Some of them receive what God has done to them. They relent. They follow God. He's upset at this idea, though. And it kind of comes true what his true feelings are. And he looks at God and says, listen, this is exactly what I was worried about. You're going to love them. You're going to give grace to them. You're going to forgive them. And they're not even worth it. In this attitude, God says, come on, don't you see that I love them just as much as I love you? That, that they have a purpose in their life? They are real, physical people? And then the book ends. Now, this is such a strange story for me to, to figure out what's going on here. And every time you pick up a book in the Old Testament, you'll find these, these really strange stories. And let me say this. The reason the Old Testament is so important is because it shows patterns about how God works in life. So basically, if God calls you to do something and you go the opposite way, don't get on a boat. Right? That's an easy one. Actually, there's more to the story here. And basically, here's, here's the main idea that I want to talk about. I want to talk about Jonah the coward. Jonah the coward. Basically, this is what Jonah did. This is three cowardly things that he did. He ran away from God. We already told you about where he was going. But not only did he run the opposite way, did he run to the very ends of the earth trying to get away from God and he couldn't? But here's also an interesting point. The Israelites hated the ocean, were so afraid of the ocean. If they did any kind of fishing, it was on the nice uh, Sea of Galilee. They didn't even dare go to what we know as the Mediterranean Sea because they believed sea monsters lived in there or probably big fish that could eat them. But here is Jonah who was so scared of what God has called him to do, he ran to something else that he's afraid of. Don't we do the same thing sometimes? Running to things that are maybe a little less scary just for the hopes that we might have to do the big thing that is scary? Well, not only that, but he went, but he did not settle. In other words, he went, but he didn't really go. You ever have that idea? We'll follow God. Okay, God, I'll do it. I'll hear what you're saying. I'll, I'll go ahead and go to church, but I ain't going to like it. I'll go ahead and tell this person about your love, but I ain't going to like it. I don't like them. That's kind of sense of what Jonah has done. And finally, Jonah hated God's grace 
for the Ninevites. As he's sitting there under this vine, the truth comes out of his heart, and he looks to God, he says, just kill me. It's better for me to die. Oh, woe is me. How about passive-aggressive, right? Just kill me now. Because I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to give them grace. I knew you were going to forgive them. They don't deserve it. They're terrible people. He's the one that ran away from God. And yet he's got this anger. Did you hear it? This racism. This hatred. Not just to the people, but that God actually cares for them. What a coward. What a terrible person. Let's end the sermon right there and everyone go home and let's go get some fish and chips. <laughs> I don't want you to think too badly about cowards because God's grace is for cowards. And this is good news, not just for Jonah, but for you and for me. As I look at my life, I know that I can be too a coward. Actually, the word coward comes from the Latin, uh, meaning, literally meaning uh, to turn your tail. It's almost like this idea of the dog who, who turns his tail between his legs out of fear, running away from something that he's unsure of or scared of. And don't tell me that you haven't acted as a coward before. You haven't seen something. You haven't been told something. You haven't been led to something. You haven't been revealed something that really freaked you out. And you turn the other way. Whoa, 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 God. I ain't doing that. Come on. And maybe you didn't go to the ends of the earth. Maybe you didn't board a ship. Maybe you didn't get eaten by a whale. But I know I have turned my back on God. Something clearly that he's led me to do. And I said, nope, not going to happen. But here's the great part. God's grace for cowards. Let's all say that together, all right? We'll all get on the board together. We'll all be a coward today, and we'll all board this ship, so to speak, and we'll see if we don't get wet or not, as Pastor Glenn promised. There's no squirt guns in here, I guarantee. No one's going to get wet, okay? All right, so you ready? God's grace for cowards. Let's say it again. God's grace for cowards. I got three things that I want to kind of zero in on as far as how you might be able to receive grace, especially if you felt this idea of turning from God. Maybe God sent something in your life. Maybe God's called you to something. Maybe you had that moment with God. Maybe even back when you were a child. And you said, man, I felt this real in, in kind of drawing of God or, or interest in what God was doing. And man, that was so long ago, I could barely even remember it. So much has happened since then. Maybe that's something that's happened recently. Maybe you feel something in your life, maybe even something terrible, that God's using you to bring you back to him. And your response has been, ah, I don't want to do that right now. Later, who cares? There's got to be something else I could do, God. So rest in that moment. Let's all be a coward together. Let's see where God's grace finds us today. The first thing I think we need to recognize that would be my advice to you as you walk through this idea of God's grace for cowards is recognizing the balance between risk and regret. Risk and regret. 
When it comes to, to facing something scary, it's, we, in that moment, we assess the level of risk, right? What's it going to cost me? What's am I going to do? God, you just called me to be a missionary. No way. It costs me way too much, all right? Or maybe, God, you have called me to get up out of my house and walk next door and share your love with my neighbor who is really, really crazy. Nope, not going to happen. That's way too risky, God. I ain't doing that. So that's what we, 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 we kind of evaluate this level of risk, don't we? And sometimes God calls us to stuff that's, that we think is too risky and we're not going to do it. Some of us love risk. It's who we are. It's part of our personality. and We jump at the chance and we're foolish with it, right? But we balance this idea. Here's what I know. If I look back in my life, I am less concerned about the risks I took or didn't take and I have these regrets over the things I didn't do. In theological terms, we call them this. We call them the sins of commission versus the sins of omission. The sins of commission are the things that we do wrong. We commit something wrong. We know it's wrong, and we do it anyway. But we also have this idea of these sins of omission. We know it's right, but we ain't doing it. And I've found that it's these sins these sins of omission in my life, the older I get, those seem to be these greater sense of regret than the times I've risked something or stepped out and did something wrong. I think back to high school. I think back to high school. And I did so many wrong things in high school. Who did some wrong things in high school? Okay, who's got some sins of commission from high school, all right? Who lives on the banned list in their high school, not allowed back in? All right, I see you. Yep, I, I'm, I'm with you. Okay, so, but here's the heart. Of all the bad things I did in high school, I regret being so shy that I never asked that girl out to go to the prom my senior year. Out of all that I did wrong, that's what I think about. In college, who here is banned from their college? College years? Who here can't remember their college years? All right, I'm with you. Okay, so I went to a Christian college, but it was still pretty dark and dim. All right, so I did a lot of things I did wrong in college, a lot of mistakes, but here's what I regret. I regret staying in a toxic relationship for too long, hoping it didn't hurt me. And then when it did, it crushed me. And if I can go back, I regret not getting out of that when, when the warning signs were there. In my career path, I regret not the terrible decisions that I made. Let me tell you, I made some bad, bad decisions as an early pastor. One particular uh, place I went to, I went to a church, I was hired under a pastor, and they transferred that pastor out because it was a Methodist church, and that's what they do. And then uh, they brought in this new pastor, and, and he was terrible. There's no way I could work with him. But I stayed there. I wanted to make it work. That would have been a terrible thing I did, but I don't feel bad about that. I feel bad. I regret turning down what I thought was the perfect job in Michigan, early in my career, to go to another position that I thought might be better. And I just have this feeling, you have this feeling of, wow, what would it be like if I would've went to that school? What would it be like if I would've dated that person? What would it be like if I made this decision for, for college? Don't we feel that? 
Let me tell you guys, there's two ways you go with regret. There's two ways you go. The first way is what's called the church curmudgeon. You guys know these people? The church curmudgeons. It's people that are so sad about what they didn't do that it affects their life presently. Now, I have a great example for this, but I had to ask his permission to see if he could actually, if he'd be willing to show this, okay? So this is not a church curmudgeon, but this is probably what a church curmudgeon looks like. Do we have this picture? All right, here it is. All right, here's another picture of it, okay? There we go. Selfies of the curmudgeon, all right? Um, if you know Cody, this is not him. This is definitely, this is Pastor Cody, our, our, our wonderful youth pastor. Um, but he's got this wonderful ability to, to bend his face. Can we all try to make this? Cody, co- Cody, can you come up here? Let's, come right here, come right here. Here he is, all right, all right okay. Co- just, just stand right here, okay. Now, now give, us, give us a little tutorial. How do we do this? All right, so you remember those like Christmas movies, the animated ones where they're pretty much puppets? All right, just imagine that, that your bottom jaw is like one of those puppet faces. So it's like, you just frown and then just go just a little bit further. All right, so, all right on the count of three, we're all going to do it. Ready? One, two, three. I can't do it. I can't do it like you, Cody. Give Cody a round of applause. He's great. Uh, but, but here's what we do. We spend all our time focused on what went wrong. We totally miss the opportunities that God has for us right now. Do you notice, do you notice that God doesn't do that with Jonah? He never rubs his nose in it. Sure, he got eaten by a fish. That must have been terrible. But he never says, see, I told you. He never says, forget it, I'm finding someone more qualified. I'm finding someone who loves me more. I'm finding someone who makes the decision the first time. No, his grace keeps coming back around and coming back around and coming back around. I know you have made mistakes. I know you've been a coward to what God has called you to. I know you've turned your back on him in the past. Some of you might have turned your back on him this week, but let me say this to you. His grace never fails. And true, you might have to spend some time in the belly of a fish, but he hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten the call on your life. He's still wooing you, asking you, drawing you, inviting you closer to him. So balance this idea of risk versus regret. Find the way God can lead you through that. Second point that I think we can make for this is this idea of of making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity. I asked Mary this week, um, what's the most courageous thing she's ever done? It was funny because she said, marrying you. (laughs) (laughs) Amen, sister. (laughs) What's the most courageous thing that you've ever done? And here's what I did. I, I thought back through my life, and I named kind of five really big things that I think I did in my life. One of the things was, was going to, to Georgia from Michigan to work as a youth pastor. I didn't even know where Savannah, Georgia was on the map. I just went. The other part was, uh, was uh, quitting my job in, in Savannah, Georgia to move up to Michigan to take care of my dad who was dying. 
pretty much ending my career to do that for my dad. I think of the time that I was invited to go to the Middle East to come and serve and help pastors in a very dark area. And I just went. And here's the hard part. Here's, here's what I get this. The most courageous things I did in my life didn't feel like courage at the time. They just felt like, okay, I'll do it. Just felt like obedience. It just felt like, okay, that's what God is. And maybe I'm, I'm a risk seeker. Maybe, maybe I am more than that than you. And I, I'll give you that, okay? But let me tell you, God is drawing all of us to take a step towards him. Make the opportunity. Here's a great little way to figure this out, okay? What does love require of me in this situation? What does love look like for me in this situation? All right, so let's say you go to work and you've got that person you work with that is just downright terrible. Anyone know someone like that? Don't raise your hand. They might be on Facebook Live. Probably not, but they're going to find out, right? No, so you have that person. What does love look like in dealing with them? What about your family? What about your spouse? What does love look like in dealing with them? Your kids, your neighbor, maybe sharing God's love with a stranger, sharing God's love with a neighbor, maybe getting involved here at church. All those things can be scary, right? But take this step and ask yourself this, what does love require of me in this situation? And here's the good part about love. If you truly act in this selfish love, is the Bible says love never fails. So you can't mess up. You can't sin as long as you are operating in love. Impossible. As long as you operate in love, you cannot fail. The last thing I want to talk about as far as this idea of, of, of maximizing this is what I kind of call eventual affirmation. Eventual affirmation. I want to talk specifically, honestly, to some individuals who, who had a clear call on their life. You can think back to that point where God put his finger on you. You had a moment with Jesus. Maybe it was down here at an altar. Maybe it was sitting with a, with a friend. He was listening to a song. You were listening to a sermon. Probably more of the song than the sermon, right? And God drew you. God invited you. God, God said, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. I got something for you. And you got up from that place and you didn't follow. And you've wondered why your life's a little rocky. <laughs> you've wondered why the storms are raging. you wonder why people look at you and say, what's wrong? I don't know. Throw me overboard. Just kill me now. Let me say this, okay? That still applies. And I don't say that as a way of regret. I say that and think, oh man, Shane, it's been years. I don't even remember what that situation is. I just have this glimmer, this kind of, this vague memory of that. But it still applies. God hasn't changed his mind. 
And let me tell you, there's what I call this eventual affirmation, this eventual time where God works through you eventually, finally, gradually, that all of part of that is part of his plan for you. So some of you need to, to make a point today. Maybe today could be that day where you say, okay, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to put the marker down. Forget about the past. Not going to live in the regret. Not going to live the woulda, coulda, shoulda's. I'm putting the marker down and say, okay, this is the day. This is the day. I don't know what it looks like, God, but maybe I got to come to the altar again. Maybe I got to pull Pastor Shane or Pastor Glenn or Pastor Cody aside and say, okay, God, let me, let me firm this up with you. But today could be the day that you stop running you finally make that decision to say, okay, God, I don't know what it's all going to be, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. I'm going to be obedient to what you have. I'm going to do this. So the band's going to come up. We're going to sing uh, that song that they sang over us earlier, So Will I. It's this great little, um, great little song of, of just saying, okay, God, I'm just going to join what you're doing. I think this might be a way for us to, to live this out today. Just to say, okay, God, whatever you're doing, I'm enjoying you. I'm going to affirm you. I'm going I'm to I'm go down that road with you again.